Okay, good evening everybody. Welcome back to Exploring the Lord of the Rings. My name is Corey Olson, the Tolkien Professor, and I am delighted to be back with you again this evening, especially on this particular evening, uh, as it's a pretty exciting evening, actually. Uh, so I mentioned last week that today's a really big day. Uh, today uh, was um, uh, uh, a... Uh, Super <laughs> big day uh, today. Today we had our official site visit for our state certification process in the state of New Hampshire. We spent all day uh, meeting with the evaluation team from the Department of Education up in Concord, New Hampshire. And uh, it was great. We had a wonderful time. Um, we talked about signum stuff and they poked and probed at all kinds of uncomfortable places uh for all day long and that was really that was that was really good uh you know they, they were um uh, a really good, as uh, our department chair Serena Higgins put it, they were a really great combination of f nice and friendly with no nonsense. You know, it was really, uh, uh, it was really, it was really a good thing. Um, so, uh, JJ, no, they, we we did not try to get them through the through the Lotro intro so that they could see the campus. Uh, they, 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 they didn't make it here. Uh, but, um, yeah, yeah, no, we're thinking that's, that's probably not a first date kind of conversation to have with the Department of Education. Uh, we were thinking of saving that for a future. I did actually talk about Lotro. Uh, it, it, I, we saw, you know, was uh, uh, speaking about uh, our sort of relationship with the Lord of the Rings online community and stuff. I was uh, citing you guys as an example of a, you know, a wonderful group of uh, one of the places in which I feel like, you know, one of the one of the ways in which things like marketing, you know, we're talking about marketing and business practices and our business plan at Signum and stuff. And it's just like, it doesn't work like it does at so many other institutions. And, you know, one of the things that, you know, I, I was telling them, one of the, the most effective thing we can do is to connect with really good online communities to, uh, uh, to find, you know, they were all wanting to hear about like, do we know like what demographics we draw our students from? And we're like, yeah, online Tolkien fans. That's where we draw our students from. It's not about what states we live in. You know, it's not about uh, uh, really anything like that. So, uh, so that was fun. So anyway, so I did talk about uh, uh, the Lord of the Rings online community as a you know community that we have become connected to because there's so many like-minded people here that you know we wanted to meet and talk to. So. Anyway, it was really great. It was. Re I feel like the 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 meeting went really well. Uh, I'm feeling uh, I'm feeling uh, cheerful and confident about the outcome. We won't know anything absolutely for sure until so the next step. Basically, this evaluation team they're going to write up a report and they're going to submit the report, uh, and then the people are going to read the report. And ultimately, what has to happen is the Higher Education Commission in the state of New Hampshire uh, votes. Uh, and they're going to vote uh, whether to, uh, you know, to approve or decline our application uh, uh, for certification in New Hampshire. Um, I, I feel good, as I said, about the outcome. Uh, I, I think uh, I think that's uh, I think that today went really well. You know, as I say, won't be official until uh, we uh, get to the Higher Education Commission meeting. So, and we're still actually the date for that a little up in the air at this point. So we'll see. But uh, but today was a great day, and uh, it was. Uh, you know, it's funny to go from having 
Signum kind of under the radar, which we've kind of been in some ways for a while. To to go from under the radar to under the microscope is uh, uh, a, a very drastic shift, you know. Uh, so anyway, that was uh, uh, a, a kind of well, I won't say startling, but it's it takes some adjustment, you know. But it's always fun to talk about, and uh, I had a really great time with that. So obviously, many thanks to the uh, many people who contributed to that, uh, to contributed to uh, uh, to Signum. Um, uh, you know, certainly, I was uh, thinking of. In fact, I was uh, bragging on. Uh, you guys and the wonderful support from our community that we got uh, when we uh, posted our call for fundraising to try to raise the fees uh, to do our certification and accreditation process. And, uh, you know, and, and, you know, that's, uh, uh, you know, we're now a good chunk of the way through. Um, and I've spent a good chunk of the money that we raised for certification and we're, you know, beginning to look towards the next steps and, uh, think forward. So anyway, it was, uh, um, it was, it was fun. It was really great. So I, I said, thanks for, uh, you know, to many of you who have been kind of going along, uh, uh, with us on this, it's been super exciting. So, um, all right, but I was excited to get home and, uh, talk about, uh, talk about Weathertop. Um, and my apologies if I'm a little spacier than I sometimes am, because, you know, that's not going to be surprising if that happens. Uh, Hang on a second, I think I need to... No, I got it. All right, good. We're good. Um, all right, so tonight we begin to approach Weathertop, right? And we're going to start off looking at that the series of things that I, that I said before I really want to be following as we go through The Lord of the Rings, and that is the series of Aragorn's choices. When Aragorn has to make a leadership choice, what does he do? Uh, on what basis does he make his choices? Uh, and of course, as we know, a lot of the, um, a lot of the, the, um, choices that he makes, well, I want to want to say they're bad choices, but they, uh, don't always pan out well, right? Or at least not immediately. They don't look good, uh, necessarily. Uh, and he's not always best pleased with them, but, um, but I want to look at the basis on which he makes those decisions, because I think that that's a really interesting study in The Lord of the Rings as a whole. And I've never really looked at it thoroughly. Um, I've looked at it in places, especially in The Two Towers, is one of the places I've looked at Aragorn's decisions uh, much more concertedly. Uh, so I'm, I'm keen to gather more data on that. So that we're going to start with that. We're going to kind of start and end with that, in a sense, uh, today. But uh, first, I have a, a post I wanted to share from our discussion board about the... Um, uh, the uh, insect life uh, of the British marshes, uh, because we we had a, a really great post on this from uh, from Darren Gray, who I think can help me a lot in understanding the insect life being described in the Midgewater marshes uh, much better than I am currently imagining them. So Darren says. A topic was brought up in the last class of the types of insects that may be tormenting the hobbits in the midwater marshes. As a frequent rambler of the UK countryside, I thought I should pipe in with a few points. The flies mentioned are very unlikely to be deer flies or horse flies. These are rare in the UK, though with climate change, they and mosquitoes are becoming more common. Most likely, they're just common non-biting flies. 
and the torment is simply the way they stick to your skin and itch or buzz around your head and annoy you. This is pretty normal in country areas, especially in wetlands, and when out walking, they can definitely be quite irritating. The whole passage here is one of incredible hyperbole. The flies torment them. The midges eat them alive. The abominable knickerbreakers make them frantic. Midges, Darren says. Midges are just an, an irritating, itchy insect, not something serious at all. You can walk through a forest and ignore them, which is which Strider is likely doing here. Uh, this, is all, this is all in Hobbit walking party tone and meant to make fun of their discomfort in what is pretty normal countryside conditions. The language is deliberately ludicrous to mock these civilized hobbits struggling in the wild. Which is another reason I doubt Tolkien is thinking of flies like horseflies, as they have properly painful bites and can even cause serious harm if bites are infected. And I don't see any real harm coming to the hobbits here other than mental anguish from their insect friends. If they're complaining loudly about midges, then they're definitely not getting horsefly bites. As for the Nikerbreakers, the UK does actually have a native type of cicada, but it's, a very, but it's very quiet and rare. Grasshoppers are a possibility, but the neek breek description sounds way more like actual crickets. I presume in the uh, in the evil context that these are black crickets which have migrated from Mirkwood. Um, that's that's great, and you know, uh, sort of thinking through uh, uh, Darren's post here, I, I think he's right. I think in some ways, I've always been more willing to give the benefit of the doubt to the hobbits here, and I will admit that I am here biased. Uh, by my own personal experience in the countryside that I've grown up in, right, which is chiefly uh, the 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 woods and sometimes marshy uh, places in New Hampshire, um, and I can tell you the flies and uh, biting insects which uh, torment you. It's, there's genuine torment involved, uh, whether it's the mosquitoes, which, you know, for which I sometimes, you know, like you come in from a swamp and you might need an infusion afterwards. Uh, or I, I just earlier uh, uh, this year, I once like felt something on my legs, swatted it and found I had killed four mosquitoes in one shot is how many mosquitoes were 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 plaguing me. Uh or we have like the these uh, uh, like black flies, these tiny little flies, which bite like incredible. I'm, I, I've got one on my knee this year that looks like a fair way to leaving a scar. It's ridiculous. Uh, the power of the bite of these little flies. Um, so anyway, it, it's it's uh, uh, it's it's. This was my own experience, right, of walking around in wetlands, and so I, you know, I, I, I was always feeling very sympathetic for the hobbits here. But you know, Darren's reading makes a lot more sense to me. Um, remember Strider's comment about unless you be made of sterner stuff than you look to be, right? He doesn't just say that for no reason, right? There's they, they, they look soft, and the fact is they are soft, right? Um, you know, this is um. Uh, this is <laughs> what do they eat when they can't get professors? Is Tony? I know. Like I wonder that too. Um, but anyway, yeah. So I, uh, I, I it, as I say, Darren's reading makes a lot of sense because I do think you know if we think about it in those terms, uh, if we see this passage as simply being hyperbolic in this way, as kind of as not attempting to convey the serious, uh, uh, you know, trauma of the hobbits, but rather to 
poke funny of poke fun of them, right? For being, uh, you know, soft, um, you know, rich lads, right? Who might have done some, you know, uh, 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 tramping in civilized country before, but have never really, um, but have never really, uh, 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 you, you know, been out in an actual uh, rough terrain. Um, so yeah, it's. Um, I, I think it's yeah exactly. There are three noblemen and one and the manservant exactly, Tillian exactly. Um, I yeah, I mean that seems to me to, to really fit. And you know, I think it's remember Sam gives Strider uh, you know some some hard looks right. And again, it's easy to sympathize with him. You know, when Strider is looking doubtfully at them. I don't know about you, but I kind of want to react in favor of the hobbits, right? And be like, oh, Strider, I think you're underestimating them, right? Um, look what they've already been through. But of course, as we've seen in the, you know, we spent some time looking at the quite significant incompetence of the hobbits, right? I, I don't think the story is really trying to pull any punches about how uh, not ready for prime time <laughs> these hobbits are right these are not hardened adventurers in any way uh and so emphasizing that in this kind of comical way at this moment seems to me to fit again especially in the, as almost as a kind of a justification of strider sort of perversely it seems to me uh the, and and remember it was one of the sort of the themes from last time right you know as i uh subtitled my first slide from the last class you know it's the end of amateur hour right now we're we're, we're not like taking a stab on a shortcut across country in order to save time or whatever, you know, Strider knows exactly where he's going and is following a, a, a predetermined path with the, the plan of shaking off pursuit and making them as hard to follow and find as possible in this wilderness that he knows really, really well. Right. So the contrast between their previous shortcuts and their, you know, whether it be in the Marish or whether it be in the old forest and this current trek through the Chetwood uh, and then the the marshes with Strider again. That's part of one of the one of the primary emphases of that passage, right? So again, Darren's reading there strikes me as um, uh, really suiting the rest of the passages around it. Uh, so perhaps I've in my own personal readings for most of my life, especially when I was a kid. Again, this this really spoke to me, right? I mean, I I had had some pretty bad bug bites in my day, and I, you know, I was like, oh man, that's so awful. I can only imagine how terrible that must be, right? And I I think Darren, you 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 may be right that I uh, in that way have always uh, have always completely missed the point. Um, yeah, Matt, exactly. Matt says this is uh, when they still think they're going to head to Rivendell, deliver the ring there and be back by Christmas. Right. Yeah. As as the, you know, the song that they made up uh, and that they sing in Crick Hollow seem to suggest. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. Good. Um, yeah. Now, you're right, Tillian. They aren't less equipped than Bilbo and the dwarves by the time they made it to the Trollshaws. Um Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. No. I. I. You know. Bilbo and the dwarves are, are uh, just as as uh, clueless. Um, the dwarves might be a little hardier, uh, a little more used to travel and that kind of thing. But but yeah, they're 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 um, uh, definitely definitely uh, clueless. And both of those things get emphasized, right? But I think we're seeing this emphasized in a different way. This kind of passage is the sort of passage we didn't get that much of. 
or again, I guess if you want to think about a parallel passage, um, perhaps the parallel passage that we could um, think of in um, The Hobbit. Uh, again, that same kind of sort of comically conveying the uh, cluelessness of the party, um, especially in the terms of emphasizing misery, uh, the misery of someone who is not used to these kinds of discomforts, right? I'm thinking about the description of that rainy night, right? Which ultimately leads them to the fire, uh, uh, to the fire of the trolls, right? Um, and the description of, of, you know, how you know, everything was, had just been raining all day and then the pony bolted and then they couldn't get the fire started and they're sitting there and the, the rain was drip, drip, dripping on them very miserably, right? That, that, that passage. Um, it's different, of course, in kind. It's not about, you know, insect bites. Um, but it does convey that sense of Bilbo you know, sitting there and, uh, uh, just being miserable. Um, but miserable in the way that like a comfortable, well-fed hobbit is going to be miserable, not because he's under, you know, this is not, this is not the crossing of the hell Caraxa or something, right? This is not Bilbo in extremis here. Uh, he's not in fact enduring what anyone who is used to real adventures would call serious hardship. Right. And of course, when we can, with Bilbo, we get that really clearly, right? When we contrast that with his situation, say, as they are going from the uh, the back door of the goblins to the stand of trees in which they're going to be treed by the wargs, right? He's not eaten for like two days and he's, you know, like in uh, having just escaped the goblins and uh, being pursued by wolves. He's going to know what it means to be an adventurer right uh later on so we do get we do get uh, uh a, a sort of i think we can see a kind of parallel there and that parallel does seem uh to work to me uh yeah for thoughtless this uh, both bilbo's you know sleeping trying to sleep out at night and, you know, on a rainy day right and uh and the hobbits experiencing uh, you know, the insect life of the marshes for the first time does seem that it is, it's, it's more like weekend scout camping. Exactly. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, <laughs> Tony, you're right that some people are more attractive to biting insects, uh, than others based on biochemistry. Uh, yeah. Uh, Matthias, uh, my, 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 my youngest son is, is one of those. We all hide behind him, uh, because you know, the mosquitoes are going to go right for him. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> JJ says this part of the adventure is such a non-adventure that most dungeon masters would just skip over it. Yeah. You travel in the marshes for a couple days and then, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah, good. Um, okay. So anyway, I got, thanks Darren for this. I think that seems to me to fit very well. I, I totally accept, uh, your, I, I, I'm very interested in your testimony and, you know, as a one little additional side note, of course you do have to be a little bit careful in saying like, okay, so everything like, you know, stuff in Tolkien's world is like the UK, like it's directly the UK. That's not always true. You know, sometimes he is, of course, imagining things either that he's experienced elsewhere, though he didn't travel very much, um, or he's uh, simply imagining things, right? Um, 
but uh, but there's a lot of his own personal experience uh, in things. And of course, we know that, uh, and he said very plainly that you know the climate uh, of this area, you know, by the Shires, is is very much like the climate of the, of the UK. So that that seems to me, if not a perfectly safe, uh, a a pretty sound uh, comparison. I think um, I definitely buy it. Um, Tony wonders if they if there would be, if they would be more used to the insects down in the Marish. I bet they would. It's interesting that it, it's not commented on there, right? And I'm not quite sure why. Um, but uh, yeah, um, are the insects more fierce in the Midgewater Marshes than like they were around Farmer Maggot's lands? You know, I'm not really sure. Um, but uh, yeah, okay. Let's. Uh, get back to the text because we have part one in our series of Strider's Fateful Choices. But surely we were hoping to find Gandalf there? Remember, this is Strider has just in the last slide we looked at last time been second guessing, right? Uh, You know, thinking whether or not it's a good idea for them to go to Weathertop, right? Yes, but the hope is faint. If he comes this way at all, he may not pass through Bree, and so he may not know what we are doing. And anyway, unless by luck we arrive almost together, we shall miss one another. It will not be safe for him or for us to wait there long. If the riders fail to find us in the wilderness, they are likely to make for Weathertop themselves. It commands a wide view all round. Indeed, there are many birds and beasts in this country that could see us as we stand here from, the, from that hilltop. Not all the birds are to be trusted. And there are other spies more evil than they are. First of all, I always like that sentence. More evil than they are. So, like, there are some who are even more evil than birds. I mean, just, you know, think about it. The hobbits looked anxiously at the distant hills. Sam looked, looked up into the pale sky, fearing to see hawks or eagles hovering over them with bright, unfriendly eyes. You do make me feel uncomfortable and lonesome, Strider, he said. What do you advise us to do? asked Frodo. I think, answered Strider slowly, as if he was not quite sure, I think the best thing is to go as straight eastward from here as we can, to make for the line of hills, not for Weathertop. There we can strike a path I know that runs at their feet. It will bring us to Weathertop from the north and less openly. Then we shall see what we shall see. Okay. So... Mad Violinist, I, I agree exactly. Mad Violinist says, one does wonder what has changed in his thinking from his confidence in deciding to go to Weathertop in the, at the inn. Yes, he said, we'll make for Weathertop, right? Why? It does, because I agree with you, exactly. The reasoning that he gives here, the reasons he gives here for not going to Weathertop, um, or rather why going to Weathertop would probably be fruitless... Uh, would have held, right? Nothing has happened to influence that, I wouldn't think, right? So let's think about this through from a couple different angles, right? First, let's look at the initial decision. Now, Frodo brings up as, from his perspective, what seems to be the number one and obvious reason uh, to go to Weathertop, because Strider brought it up when he originally mentioned Weathertop, uh, is that... Gandalf would make for that point, right? So, Frodo says, surely we're hoping to find Gandalf there. 
seems to be reason enough for Frodo, right? No, we cannot go to, we don't want to miss Gandalf, right? We're going to go to Weathertop, right? So, um, so yeah, Gladys, I agree. The flashes in the night sky enter into it, right? But let's think about that second. First, I want to just think about, because one of the things that I'm kind of thinking about, or that I'm wanting to think through, is how exactly has seeing the flashes of light in the night sky changed Strider's thinking, right? How and why has that changed his thinking? Can we can we try to understand why he's making uh, this particular decision? So he mentioned the possibility of finding Gandalf. Is it possible? Um, is it possible that he is merely second guessing himself after several days? Right. He's uh, uh, he's his first thought was. As he said in the end, Gandalf will surely make for that point, right? Okay, so if Gandalf makes, he might be close behind us. He's going to make for that point. He can probably get there before we can, right? So maybe we'll find Gandalf there, right? But as he says here, that's a, a faint hope, right? I mean, we don't know for sure that Gandalf would stop there. And this is what I wonder, maybe is this later thinking? Was he thinking that Gandalf might wait for them? Um, I think it's possible to read this as second-guessing himself, right? If we imagine that his first line of thinking was, Gandalf might be right behind us. If he is, he's going to come through Bree. If he comes through Bree, he's going to stop at the pony to talk to Butterbur. If he stops at the pony to talk to Butterbur, he's going to hear right? If he talks to anybody, he's going to hear, I mean, everybody in Bree is going to be talking about what just happened, right? So he's going to hear that these strange hobbits were in town, that the one disappeared in the middle of the, in the middle of the room, that they took up with Strider and left town, right? Um, and even find people to point them <clears throat> off in the direction that he went. So I, he's got to be uh, thinking, okay, number one, if Gandalf is behind us, he's going to know where we are. So that his first thought back in Bree was to use Weathertop as a kind of rendezvous point, right? So if Gandalf knows that we are headed east through the wilderness, he's likely to wait for us at Rivendell, right? And here, Gladys, is where I'm thinking about those flashes in the night sky, right? Maybe his original thought back in Bree was that Gandalf would wait, Right. Gandalf would go and, and if, if, you know, Gandalf presumably would pass them on the road uh, and get to Weathertop first. And if he did, he would wait for them and maybe they could wait for him. Maybe. Probably less likely because they're being hunted after all and uh, they could be found there. So, but anyway, maybe, maybe Gandalf would be able to wait for them there. Now, uh, he says, uh, it will not be safe for him or us to wait there long. And you've got to think. Uh, you've got to think that um, he's thinking about the flashes of light there, right? It's not all that hard to work out. There are a few options, but there are not very many. Um, He knows those weren't normal lights, right? Uh, I, I would suspect that he thinks that Gandalf was involved in combat on the hilltop. There's only a few things that that could be. Um, If it's a fight involving, you know, magical flashes of fire, Gandalf's a pretty strong candidate. Certainly it's got to be 
the Witch King, right? It's got to be the Nazgul involved with that. Who else are they going to fight with? Maybe Gorfindel, right? Maybe somebody from Rivendell. It's conceivable. Um, uh, but uh, but anyway, you know. So like I said, it's not that Gandalf is the only possible candidate for this. But whether it was Gandalf or not, somebody was uh, having a, a serious discussion on Weathertop, right? Uh, and uh, it, it's got to have been. It's got to have been. The, the, whoever was the good guy involved, the bad guys have to have been the Nazgul, right? So the Nazgul have been involved with fighting somebody, quite likely Gandalf, on Weathertop just a couple of nights back, right? So if Gandalf was... The, he, there's no way that he can stay, right? But think about the corollary to that. It's Saruman, says Tony. <laughs> uh, think about the corollary to that. The corollary to that is he knows for sure, or at least he's got to be pretty convinced that the Nazgul were there, right? At least a couple days ago, they were there, that the Nazgul were present when flashes of light were shining on the hilltop in the dark, right? Um, so... The Nazgul were definitely there. Is he now get so? But my point is, knowing that, he decides to go, right? Despite the fact that he knows has some pretty strong evidence. Let me say it that way: has some pretty strong evidence that the Nazgul were up on that hilltop uh, in a fighting mood a couple nights ago, right? Um, and he makes the decision to go there anyway. Why? Why? His analysis that Gandalf is almost certainly not there, not hanging out there waiting for them, of course, is perfectly correct and very sensible, especially following up on the, uh, you know, his analysis of the white uh, flashes of light in the in the dark. Um, so, Gladys, yeah, it does seem like Aragorn's main goal is to keep the hobbits far away from the wraiths. So why take them to Weathertop? Right. His doubts, right, his thinking twice about this, whether or not that's a good idea to go, seems very sensible. Right. What's on the other? What's the other option? Right. Uh, uh, Why doesn't he? Why does he decide to choose that? Why doesn't he just avoid it? Um. Notice what his emphasis is in here. First, his emphasis is on the improbability of their meeting up with Gandalf, right? Unlikely to be a rendezvous point. Um, if the riders fail to find us in the wilderness, they are likely to make for Weathertop themselves. So apart from, you know, evidence of nocturnal combat, uh, this, uh, you know, there's a good reason to think that they would that they would go there. Um, it commands a wide view all round. Indeed, there are many birds and beasts in this country that could see us as we stand here from that hilltop. Not all the birds are to be trusted, and there are other spies more evil than they are. So, that's a very dangerous place, right? It's a very dangerous place. Um, um So why does he go? Right? Why does he go? What do you advise us to do? Notice Sam's reaction first, right? You do make me feel uncomfortable and lonesome, 
Strider, right? Uncomfortable and lonesome. Uncomfortable, presumably because he's imagining uh, being uh, uh, spied upon, right? And now he's he's like looking at the birds to wonder if any of the birds are acting as spies, right? Which he, Sam presumably wasn't doing before. Um, so that's that's an uncomfortable feeling to think that the very birds flying by overhead could be malicious spies of the enemy. Um, and lonesome, right? The picture that Strider is painting here is them against the world, literally everything, right? Um, there are many birds and beasts in this country, you know, that could see us, and some of them might be spies, right? They, you know, the the whole world is against them. They have, they were hoping to meet an ally here. They were kind of hoping. The hobbits clearly, I mean, Frodo seems to be hoping that they were on their way to meeting up with Gandalf at last. And now here's Strider saying, not only are we not going to meet Gandalf, but probably every living creature is in league against us, right? So, I mean, yeah, it's uh, un- that's both uncomfortable and lonesome. Several of you are bringing up the possibility of Radagast. Again, can't rule it out, right? Last seen in this region, uh, so it's conceivable. Um but hugely unlikely. Uh, you'll remember, we talked about this a little last time, but also I was reflecting on it a little bit more. You'll remember what Gandalf says to Radagast when he meets him near Bree, right? Um, uh, of course, we haven't gotten to this passage yet and won't for quite a while, but uh, in the Council of Elrond, uh, Gandalf is surprised to see Radagast there, right? Um, because he was never a traveler. Right, his place is down on the eaves of Mirkwood, um, and he doesn't um, he doesn't travel much. Uh, so Gandalf is surprised that he's there at all. So I mean, he is there. Yeah, you know, again, last seen in that area. So it's certainly possible, um, but that's not his normal place. So, therefore, if it was a surprise to Gandalf to meet Radagast there in that area. I've got to think. And remember, he, Gandalf, never reported that to Strider, right? So Strider doesn't even know that there was a Radagast sighting by Gandalf near Bree. Um, it's very difficult to imagine that uh, Radagast would be uh, in the leading candidates of who could be making bl- white flashes on the hilltop, right? Because, I mean, yeah, it's theoretically possible, but he's never up here. Um, if... Um, I think that some of you, I see you guys are making jokes about bunny sleds, which is, of course, a perfectly appropriate thing to do. Um, but, of course, I think that many of you are being influenced by The Lord of the Rings Online, right? Which positions Radagast in the Lonelands uh, so that he is, in fact, uh, hanging out, uh, not in a exactly a permanent way. He's not built a home here. Um, but uh, in the epic quest line, we see Radagast on assignment here, not far at all from Weathertop, right? So uh, thinking about it from the uh, the point of view of the Lord of the Rings online story, that seems like a very plausible explanation indeed, especially since we see in the game story uh, Radagast um, uh, kind of... Uh, taken off the gloves, right, and uh, engaging in some uh, 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 pretty serious combat with the agents of the enemy, which is fun, right? That's cool. Um, but um, anyway, I um, 
Yeah, Ostgaruth uh, Gladys, exactly, yeah. Um, so, anyhow, like I said, that, that's very understandable, but that's an extrapolation, right? That's kind of a liberty uh, that the, the, the Lotro writers have made uh, in doing that. I think it's great. I think it's fun. I love meeting Radagast there, and the I love the storyline that Radagast is involved in uh, in that part of the game. I think it's brilliant, and why not position him there? He was seen there. So they're imagining that after uh, uh, giving his message to Gandalf, you know, Radagast stayed in the area and begins to, you know, try to help set things to rights. And that's cool. That's fun. But there's, it's not in the text, right? There's n- nothing in the story to support any concept that that happens. So I don't think, uh, this is where, this is where really there's sort of the difference, right? Between doing the sort of creative storytelling in conjunction with, right? You know, doing this kind of adaptive storytelling, um, from the which is what the Lotro people are doing, right? They're not they're not doing interpretate they're not doing a reading of what is there in the text. Uh they're, you know, doing a parallel thing and it's cool, it's fun. Um but that's different from actually doing a reading of the t- right. We can't really kind of import that and say, you know, this is probably what you know, this this could have been what Aragorn was thinking. Seems super unlikely. Um Yeah, yeah. Um Absolutely. Mad Violinist says that Gandalf's eagle ride is evidence against Radagast being anywhere but on the way home. Yes, absolutely. Radagast goes, rushes off, as Gandalf said, right, and goes to tell the birds and beasts that are his friends. So the very fact that Gwaihir the Windlord shows up in order to rescue Gandalf shows that Radagast did not, in fact, linger in the Breelands, right? He left town uh, and went to the Misty Mountains and found uh, the eagles. Right uh, to warn them, and that's how Gandalf ends up getting rescued. Um, so yeah, we do see him turn around and ride off right away. That doesn't prove where he's going, right? But Mad Violinist is absolutely correct uh, that uh, we do have some, at least indirect evidence, right, that he didn't uh, that he didn't stick around. Um, yeah. I, okay. Um, So let's look at... So Frodo comes back to put pressure on Strider. What do you advise us to do? I think... I think the best thing is to go as straight eastward from here as we can, to make for the line of hills, not for Weathertop. There we can strike a path I know that runs at their feet. It will bring us to Weathertop from the north and less openly. Then we shall see what we shall see. Notice, what is he deciding? Aragorn does a... I don't know. He kind of pulls a switch on them here, doesn't he? That is to say, like, he seems to be answering one question, but he's not. He's answering a different question. Um, When Frodo says, what do you advise us to do? It's uh, based on the conversation they've had so far. It sounds like what Frodo is saying is... Do you advise us to go to Weathertop or not? Now, are you you said Weathertop was our destination. Are you having second thoughts about that? And Aragorn's response to the question, which again I read as, do you advise us to go to Weathertop or not? Aragorn says, my decision is about how we're going to approach Weathertop. So I guess, yeah, the answer is yes, we're going to Weathertop anyway. Um, uh, 
but he's not going to he's not going to head for it. Um he is sort of deciding not to decide at this time maybe for Dauntless, but uh, he's decided to go to Weathertop, right? Um it's just a question of how they're going to approach Weathertop. Um and I'm not sure I uh um I'm not sure how limited exactly Aragorn's choices are here. Um, here's um, here's here's the reason I say that. We know there's going to be a point later on um, in the Trollshaws when he says they have no choice; they have to cross the road. Right. I mean, the, there's just this it's 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 inaccessible, you know, on their side of the road like that, they, they, you know, so, and they're all worried about it. Right. And they they they, you know, set it across the road and they're afraid they're going to be spotted. and They're going to be black riders on the road. Right. And, and Strider makes a really big deal of this. Like it's uh, we have no choice. Uh, he doesn't talk that way about Weathertop. Um, he's he's he sounds to me like there are options that. His decision to go to Weathertop is, in this sense, a positive decision, right? I am choosing to 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 make our route towards this hill, right? Um, uh, yeah, maybe. Forthon said he's always read that statement that bring it to the north from uh, to Weathertop from the north and less openly than we shall see what we shall see. Um, I, Fourth Thomas says, I always read this to mean that he may, might not actually climb Weathertop, depending on, uh, on what they see from the foothills, possibly. But what? I mean, yeah, if they're coming down from the north and they're seeing, like, black riders standing in silhouette up on the hilltop, he probably doesn't go up, right? But again, kind of like the way that get, that... Uh, Aragorn was just reasoning earlier. I mean, unless the, you know, the ho- they've picketed their horses right there at the foot of the hill, um, you know, and pitched a big tent or something like that. I mean, it's not going to be that obvious uh, that the Black Riders are there. So I don't think that there's much that he could expect to see as he's walking down across the foothills that would make up his mind whether or not it was safe to go to Weathertop. Um, so... Uh, it sounds to me in, that last sentence, right, can be taken in a couple different ways. Then we shall see what we shall see could mean for Thoughtless, as you say. We'll see what Weathertop looks like. And we'll make a final call at that point as to whether or not we should go up it, right? Whether or not we should visit Weathertop. Um, but of course, it's also a rather conspicuous thing to say in the context of what he has been describing about Weathertop, right? Seeing what you can see is exactly what Weathertop is all about, right? Um, that's the role of Weathertop. Um, that's what he was just emphasizing about it. That's why the riders would want to go. That's why the rider spies might be there. But the point is, seeing what you can see, that's, that's the, like, um, you know, come see what you, what, come see what you will see could be like the, you know, the tourist slogan, uh, uh, for the Weathertop Tourist Board, right? Come see what you can see. Uh, uh, you know, that's, that's the point of Weathertop. Um, 
Now, uh, I agree. Kimber and Deathman are talking about um, Strider as tracker and being able to tell as they approach closer and closer whether anyone else has been there and what he can make of that. And sure, I'm willing to I'm willing to 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 concede that it's not like he can't. There's no way other than looking to see uh, on the hilltop if they're there that he can detect if anyone's there. But what I'm not convinced of at all is that he's not certain about that. It sounds to me that it's not that he's uncertain whether they're going to go up to Weathertop. Um, I think he's decided when he says, you know, he's not quite sure. I think he's not quite confident in his decision. But it sounds to if he's going a long way out of his way for somebody who does not want to go to Weathertop, right? Because in a sense, if you think about it, coming to the foot of Weathertop and not climbing up, that's like the, that's like the worst case scenario, Right? I mean, there are benefits to going up Weathertop. Gandalf might have been there. They might be able to see some evidence as to whether or not Gandalf was there. Um, Gandalf might possibly still be there, right? If they just go by Weathertop and don't go up, he could be there and they never know, right? Um, so checking to see if Gandalf is there or has been there is a benefit to going up to Weathertop. Seeing what you can see is a benefit to going up to Weathertop, right? They can get the, he can get the lay of the land. Not that he doesn't know what the land looks like, um, but so that he can see uh, what, you know, are there riders on the road? You can see the road from a long ways either way from Weathertop, right? So he can get some kind of a sense of the movement of the enemy. There are bunches of positive reasons to go up Weathertop, but you've got to climb it to get any of those benefits. If you just come to the base of the hill, you have made yourself maximally visible from the hilltop for the maximum amount of time without achieving any of the benefits, right? So you've, you've uh, exposed yourself to eyes on the top of Weathertop as much as you possibly can uh, without being able to do anything that uh, receiving any of the benefits at all. Um, I, uh, so yeah, I, I don't really, um, uh, his, this is where I, I, I think his discussion of coming in from the North and less openly uh, becomes important, right? He's trying to minimize how much they can be seen as they approach. But I, I don't think he's debating whether or not they climb uh, to go the other way and not come near to Weathertop at all. If he wants to avoid it, going right up close to it seems a poor way uh, to avoid it. Um, uh, yeah. Now, Matt is wondering if his debating, his, you know, I think, I think, uh, uh, as if he's not quite sure, uh, could be his weighing the ranger camp that he knows is there and possibly provisioned. Yes, though there's no indication yet that provisions are any kind of worry, right? And in fact, they're never going to run out of provisions. Um, uh, you know, things are going to get a little bit lean. Um, but although Strider talks about, you know, the possibility that they could run out of food and he might have to hunt for them in the wild, he does that later on only in the context of reassuring them that don't worry, even if our stores do run out, you're still not going to die, Right. Um, and they don't. So the, the stores run out, that is. So I, I, I have a hard time thinking that he's motivated by reprovisioning necessarily. Um, yeah, yeah. It is possible, Tony, that he might be uh, there looking to encourage Candyth in his correspondence course that, you know, uh, to support the um, 
professional development uh, process of the Dunatine. Sorry, uh, Lotro humor there. Uh, there's a, a ranger in the game who uh, is positioned under Weathertop uh, and uh, uh, long running jokes about him learning the black speech. There's a comical quest on which he sends you to, f- to capture the plans uh, from an orc camp um, so that we can learn what the enemy is planning. And you bring him the plans and he's like, great, thank you for securing those. Unfortunately, I can't read the black speech, so I don't know what they say. Uh, and I wanted to rise up and strangle him at that point because I'm like, why did you send me for these bloody plans? If you knew in advance, you couldn't read them. Anyway, um, so we you know, joked about his uh, uh, trying to improve himself and learn the black speech. Uh, anyway, um, uh, <laughs> JJ says that Kendyth should be the Bree campus mascot. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Kendyth, uh, 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 studying there at his campsite on, under Weathertop could be, uh, could be, you know, like, uh, one of those little, uh, you know, little picture on the Signum website. Um, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, good, good. Anyhow. So I have an idea. Let's look on another slide. No, wait, not yet. So my question is, if Strider is going towards Weathertop, why? Why? Is there something in... Is there something that has changed his... So here's here's two things that I think. Thing number one. I think that the white flashes that he saw in the distance, on the one hand, they, they, they go both ways, right? On the one hand, this means that he has very good reason to think that the Nazgul were there, right? But he wants to find out, right? He wants to get more information about what that was that he saw, right? I think he's not content with going on not knowing what happened, right? He needs to know for their own, for their information, um, what's going to be, um, what's going to be happening. So that's one thing. I think that's drawing him towards Weathertop. Um, and the second thing is then we shall see what we shall see, right? And uh, as, you know, Karita, as you joked a long time ago, Strider kind of has a thing for standing in high places and looking out of the land around him. Absolutely. Yeah. Getting up high and looking around. It is It is Aragorn's thing. Karita, I agree. Um, I think that that is a big part of what makes his decision. Now, this is not just a, like a, you know, some kind of weird fetish on Aragorn's part, right? I mean, if you are, uh, you know, going around through the wilderness, through hostile territory, which may be, you know, uh, full of enemies who are hunting you down, it's a good idea, right? To get to a high space and look around. It's quite practical. Um, uh, but, um, but that does seem to be a factor, and I think that that his desire to know, his desire to see, uh, and to 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 figure out to 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 see for himself and know what's happening, is a big part of what is really guiding him. I, th- I think that that's that's definitely a a a, a strong factor here. Um, yeah, Fort Thoughtless says it's impossible to get through this country without being seen from Weathertop anyway, so they might as well get some information. Yeah, that's exactly why I think just planning to go to the bottom of Weathertop and maybe not going up seems to me like the worst possible plan that he could adopt for exactly that reason, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, 
Ah, good. Okay, now let's try slide two. All that day they plodded along until the cold and early evening came down. The land became drier and more barren, but mists and vapors lay behind them on the marshes. A few melancholy birds were piping and wailing until the round red sun sank slowly down into the western shadows. Then an empty silence fell. The hobbits thought of the soft light of sunset glancing through the cheerful windows of Bag End far away. At the day's end, they came to a stream that wandered down from the hills to lose itself in the stagnant marshland, and they went up along its banks while the light lasted. It was already night, when at last they halted and made their camp under some stunted alder trees by the shores of the stream. Ahead there loomed now against the dusky sky the bleak and treeless backs of the hills. That night they set a watch, and Strider, it seemed, did not sleep at all. The moon was waxing, and in the early night hours, a cold gray light lay on the land. Um, yeah, this is a very lonely land description, isn't it? Uh, uh, mad violinist, absolutely. Um, like Sam, I can't help but look uneasily at the birds after Strider's description, especially since we've just heard that some of these birds might be evil, right? Might be uh, spies of the enemy. And so when we hear that the birds are melancholy, all of a sudden that would have been just kind of a word that helped me understand what their cry sounded like before, right? But now I'm all invested in this, right? Now I'm all like, are they melancholy because they're serving evil, right? And it's tearing them up inside? Or are they melancholy because they're surrounded by, uh, you know, agents of the enemy? And, are, are, you know, I, I, you know, it's it's tough, man. I feel, I, you know, these, these birds seem genuinely melancholy. Um but uh, anyway, that's just sort of a small point. Uh, but of course, it makes them think of home, right? We get this sentence of the hobbits wistfully looking back to the west. They're watching the sun set down in the west, uh, and the the sun is going where their you know their their minds are following the sun right now, right off into the west. Um, and it's it's an interesting combination of things, right? On the one hand, there's the sense of distance, right from uh, from Bag End, right? The, the 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 sun has gone off into the distance again, far away from them. Uh, it's it's sinking down now over Bag End, way over there. Uh, but at the same time, there's this sense of closeness, right? It, they they thought of the soft light of sunset glancing through the cheerful windows of Bag End, far away, right? So in other words, they're looking out at the sunset now, remembering all the times they looked out at the sunset from Bag End, right? Same sun, same sunset. Um, so there's a there's a there's also a kind of a link between their experience now and their experience before, but uh, but clearly the parallel is making them um, is making them wistful, right? It's making them nostalgic, and this of course is a move that we've seen doing it exactly as you say um, very frequently in the Hobbit, right? Now, but I would I would point out sort of the difference here, right? Um, Part of this, of course, is difference in narrative style. We're, we're not going to get the kind of running, repeated line, right? The not-for-the-last-time line that we get in The Hobbit, just because the narrator isn't as forceful in The Lord of the Rings. You know, the presence of the narrator, I should say, isn't as forceful. Um, however, uh, 
there's, I think, also a genuine difference here. Uh, I mean, of course, in my discussions of The Hobbit, I've often made a big deal about those moments, right, where we're seeing sort of the Baggins side of Bilbo reasserting itself, right? Longing for home, longing for the quiet and peaceful place that he has left behind in this mad trip to the wild that his Took side has brought him onto, right? I'm not seeing that kind of a divide here. That is, the text doesn't seem to me here to be emphasizing that, you know, there's this part of them that's thinking about Bag End. And in part, of course, this starts way back from the 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 beginning of this story. Remember, Frodo himself was on the one hand thinking of similarities between his journey and Bilbo's journey, right? But when he talked about it, he was explicitly making contrasts between his journey and Bilbo's journey, right? This is not a there and back again journey, right? This is not a hobbit's holiday that he's going, he's going into exile, right? Um, running from danger into danger. Um, so it's not the same, right? The dynamics aren't the same. And Frodo isn't having the same experience, uh, that Bilbo had with that, you know, part of me wants to go off an adventure, but a big part of me wishes that I'd stayed home. Right. It's not like that. There's, there's, I mean, there's lots of Frodo that wishes that he stayed home, but he couldn't stay home. It's not, again, this is not an elective adventure like it was for Bilbo. Right. Uh, and so it changes, changes the situation. I think one of the elements of wistfulness here, obviously, there's a major element of um, of them just longing for home, right? Especially, Darren, thinking of your reading of uh, The Hobbit's Discomfort and uh, how much they are missing the comforts of home because they've been exposed to these uh, hideous discomforts of the Midgewater Marshes, right? Which are now uh, lying behind them, behind mist, uh, beneath mists and vapors. But... But but in addition to that, though, um, remember, again, Frodo was leaving self-sacrificially, right? Um, he doesn't feel like an invasion of dragons would help, you know, be a, 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 a positive factor, right, uh, for the residents of the Shire. Um, he doesn't feel like that now, he says at the end of Chapter 2, right? He feels that as long as he knows that the Shire is behind, safe and comfortable, um, that you know, he can, he can go on, right? Um, knowing that he's helping, knowing that he's saving the Shire, um, that although he may be giving up the Shire, losing it, um, it can, by his sacrifice, be made safe. And I think that we can kind of see an element of that here, right? Um, yes, they're thinking of it, no doubt, because they were wishing they were there. But again, Frodo wishing he was at Bag End is not like Bilbo wishing he was at Bag right? Bilbo's just wanting to accelerate it, right? I've been there. Okay, I'm not all the way there yet, but I can't wait until I get back again. That's not Frodo's adventure, right? He's not thinking about that. He sold Bag End. He's not there by choice, right? He, he planned that. Uh, he deliberately chose in a way that Bilbo definitely did not uh, to leave Bag end. So somewhere, um, again, look at the way it's phrased. The hobbits thought of the soft light of sunset glancing through the cheerful windows of Bag End far away. Is that past tense or present tense? That is, are they remembering seeing the sunlight through the windows of Bag End? Is, that, is it pure nostalgia in that sense? Or not? Or is this something else? Right? Are they imagining instead even now, the light of this same sunset 
is glancing through the cheerful windows of Bag End far away. Even though Bag End far away is now infested by Sackville Bagginses, yet Bag End lies behind safe and comfortable. Even though here I am out in the Weather Hills, right, having just escaped, escaped from the marshes. Um, that's a lot of pressure to put on this one sentence, but the and and I certainly never would have done it without the Hobbit, right? Um, what is primarily fueling this particular? reading of this sentence and of this uh, motion of glancing back is the contrast, right? And especially, of course, uh, fueled by the fact that we, uh, thinking about, again, the comments that Darren was making and the parallels we were already seeing, and I think it's hard in this area, right, um, not to be making that comparison. That is, we're still in the part of the journey, of Frodo's journey, which is directly parallel to Bilbo's, right? He's still... Tra- now, Bilbo traveled by road through this part, right? He didn't have Black Riders chasing him, but um, uh, he didn't trek through, you know, the middle of the Midwater Marshes. But uh, but nevertheless, again, there's, there's, a, there's a clearer uh, parallel between Bilbo's journey and Frodo's journey at this point. Um, so... I, those those comparisons, I can't help but feel that we're sort of invited uh, to make those. And this sounds to me very much like Bilbo's wistful thoughts about the Shire as he's climbing at the beginning of chapter four of The Hobbit, as he's climbing up into the mountains and looking back over to the west, right? And thinking about what's going on in the Shire. Um, or when he's longing to be back on his hearth, uh, next to his hearth, uh, with a kettle just beginning to sing for the first time, which is that wet night. Um, in the troll shells before they meet the trolls. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, Bricktails is quoting, Through shadows to the edge of night until the stars are all alight, then world behind and home ahead will wander back to home and bed. That's the, that's the there and back again ethos, right? And that's exactly, although they sing that song, right? although they remember that song, um, that's not the world that Frodo has entered now, right? In a sense, that song is is sort of poignant, right? When uh, when they're recalling it on their trip, because there's a sense in which that's exactly where they are not anymore, right? At least Frodo isn't. Pippin might still be on a Hobbit walking party, as certainly as far as Frodo knows at that point. Um, Ambrose Aureliana says, "I'm not sure the Hobbits are distinguishing between these two possibilities that much." Uh, that is. Bag end in the past, bag end in the present. They're just thinking of how much more pleasant bag end is than where they are at that moment. Absolutely. No, I, I don't mean to undermine that at all. I think that's that's certainly the major uh, sort of fixture of it. I think it's more about uh, how we are invited to think about it, right? How we are invited to think about uh, uh, their reflections uh, on you know this contrast between where they are and where they've been. Um Hmm. Interesting. So Matt suggests that the plural would hint that this is a future thought. The hobbit's thought of the soft light of sunset glancing through. Um, that this is a reflection from Sam, you know, Sam, resident of Bag End later on. Um, Matt argues that this doesn't necessarily sound like the the kind of thing that Mary and Pippin would think. Possibly. 
possibly um, that um, they might not they might not think this um, that's conceivable um, but though it's still interesting to me that even if we are seeing this as a sort of later perspective statement, right? Which of course, in theory, obviously the whole narrative structure is um, why this would be put into the, you know, sort of projected into the minds of all four hobbits. Right. Um, yeah. Ambrosius, again, I, I, yeah, I agree. He says, uh, it seems that the reader is invited to consider both options simultaneously. Yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I, I, it's not, again, it's not that I think we're invited to sit and th- think about this for a long time. Um, yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. Okay. Um, good. Let me, no, wait, so I'm talking about the second paragraph. Oops. Uh, some people are starting to get doubtful that we're going to, and we're going to get to talk about uh, the Gil- the Gilgalad poem tonight. I think they're right that we're probably not going to get there tonight. Uh, that was my maximally optimistic goal was to get to the Gilgalad poem tonight. Couple small notes about the description in that second paragraph. Um. They came to a stream that wandered down from the hills to lose itself in the stagnant marshland. Boy, isn't that sad, right? I love that description. Um, the hobbits seem to feel sympathy for this. They've just left the, river, the marshlands behind, right? They've emerged from the Midgewater marshes, and they're going up next to this stream, but they know they know the horrible destiny, right? The water that is rushing past them has no idea what it's going to come to, right? That that it's going to be doomed to rest in the Midwater Marshes. Now, you know, one has to think that perhaps from the point of view of water or a river, maybe Midwater is not the horror that it was to the hobbits. Um, but still, I love that. I love that little touch as if they're imagining that like it's just... It's a terrible tragedy, right? And absolutely, Tony, we do get the the anthropomorphizing of the natural features, again, as we've seen many times. Um, yeah, to lose itself in the stagnant marshland. No! Um, and uh, they... They make their camp look at the description of the hills. They're loomed now against the dusky sky, the bleak and treeless backs of the hills. Um as if the hills are them are you know they're blasted and bare there's something uh, almost well withered heathish about it i was going to say not in the sense of like that dragons probably live there but um uh but sort of uh uh kind of sounding that way right uh the bleak and treeless backs of the hills um their perception that strider didn't sleep notice the narrator doesn't seem completely confident about that, right? Um, Strider, it seemed, did not sleep at all, right? Um, 
yeah, as far as we can see, Strider has like not slept in like five days, right? Uh, we don't know that Strider is getting any sleep at all. The only time we've uh, gotten references to him uh, in the night has been him not sleeping, right? Not sleeping in the inn, not sleeping the night that uh, the black flashes showed up in the sky, not sleeping apparently tonight. Um, but um, anyway, so... Uh, but notice the kind of uncertainty there, right? Um, Strider, it seemed, did not sleep at all, which leads you to wonder, is Strider in fact not sleeping? Or is this, again, another testimony to the hobbits in experience, right? Because Strider doesn't, like, roll himself up in his blankets and snore, they assume he doesn't sleep at all, right? When... You know, you kind of think maybe Strider is sleeping. It's just the the it looks different from how the hobbits do it. Um, uh, that I, I can't help but think that that's uh, that that's going on. But, but my money is that Strider, in fact, did sleep this night. Um, but um, maybe not. Maybe not. Um, Blue Wizard says, perhaps every time the hobbits woke up in the night, Strider was awake. I could easily believe that, given how much uh, noise the hobbits probably make when they stir and wake up, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, it's funny, several of you are talking about Strider's connection with elves uh, leading to his sleeplessness. Uh, or power of sleeplessness. I mean, don't get me wrong. The ability to go like five nights in a row without sleep is to, that's, I mean, if I had to choose a superpower, I'd be kind of tempted by that one. I have to admit, uh, you know, to be like the, you know, the, 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 the mutant who can just not ever have to go to sleep. That'd be pretty awesome. Sharon is laughing at me now. Uh, uh, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd be tempted by that superpower. Uh, but I don't, I don't think that this has to be a superpower issue. Uh, and I can't connect it. I just, I, I have a really hard time believing that, you know, he is benefiting from like walking in the paths of elvish dreams like Legolas is said to do, uh, you know, when we get there in the second half of the Fellowship of the Ring. Um, uh, you know, I, um, I can't think that that's what's happening there. Um, I, yeah, it just, it doesn't, doesn't work, uh, for me. Um, yeah, all the people who work at Signum are laughing at me for saying I would choose that superpower. Uh, no, I don't have it. Definitely not. Uh, I'm, I'm, I am. I was up pretty early to drive up to Concord this morning, so I'm definitely feeling a little sleepy here. Um, but um, yeah, um, yeah, exactly, Kimber. I think it's exactly much more along those lines that he spent years alone in the wild while being hunted, so he has a particular ability to maintain alertness and be watchful. Um, he has to have practiced going days with very little sleep when hiding himself from discovery was not practiced. Absolutely. Just being off in the wild uh, as he is, both as hunter and as hunted, um, yeah, he would have trained himself to do things that the hobbits can't do and probably can't imagine at this point, you know, things like 
you know, uh, I'd get brief bursts of very, you know, uh, refreshing sleep while sitting or, or leaning against a tree or something, right? Um, while remaining alert and waking at the slightest movement around you and everything. I mean, all that kind of thing is exactly what I always imagine going on with Strider here. And of course, the stamina, um, to be able to go without sleep for long swatches of time. So, um, I, I really don't think it's about, um, I don't think there's anything elvish going on here. And the main reason for that, again, it's not that elves have the power of sleep deprivation. It's that elvish dreams are just different. And that's a, that's a positive statement about elvish dreams and uh, the elvish state, which equates to sleeping. Um, a positive statement that this is how it works for them and that it's different from humans. Uh, Strider's, Strider's human. He's not elvish. And he doesn't do that. Um, so anyway, we'll get there. Don't worry. <clears throat> we'll get there, uh, easily by Christmas of 2019. Um, okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, belongs mind. You're absolutely right. Strider is totally ready to have kids later on when he has kids and he's got to wake up to, you know, to, 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 you know, walk him around and try to get him to go back to sleep and change their diapers and stuff. He's gonna be so prepared, right? Uh, he's just really in training for that kind of thing. Um, good times. Good, good times. Says the guy whose youngest kid is now 10. Right. I uh, remember it, uh, with increasing fondness as the years go by. Okay. One more. Next morning, they set out again soon after sunrise. There was a frost in the air, and the sky was a pale, clear blue. The hobbits felt refreshed, as if they had had a night of unbroken sleep. Already they were getting used to much walking on short commons, shorter at any rate than what in the Shire they would have thought barely enough to keep them on their legs. Pippin declared that Frodo was looking twice the hobbit that he had been. Very odd, said Frodo, tightening his belt, considering that there is actually a good deal less of me. I hope the thinning process will not go on indefinitely, or I shall become a wraith. Do not speak of such things, Strider said Strider quickly, with surprising earnestness. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, it's just Lady Schmebulok's question, do baby elves sleep? Ah, uh, what a great question. Okay, so, let's, um... Having just been focusing on the evidence of the continued cluelessness of the hobbits uh, in their immersion in this new adventurous habitat and uh, the contrast with the very significant competence of Aragorn the ranger, right? Um, we get this paragraph about how the hobbits are progressing and changing, right? Um, they wake up refreshed from this night. They're so good at this now. Oh, man. They're like pr camping out pros, these hobbits are, right? Um, that's uh, fantastic. They're getting used to much walking on short comments. So they're, you know, they're, 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 they're sleeping less, but it's like they got a great night's sleep. They're eating less, right? Exercising more. This is, they're getting into shape, these hobbits, right? No longer the, the, the sort of, they're, they're, they're not as soft, right? So we're getting this emphasis on the decreasing softness of the hobbits, right? So although we've been reminded, and I, I, again, I still agree with Darren's reading of the, the Midgewater passage now, um, 
that has been emphasized, right? How soft the hobbits are. We do get it emphasized that they are toughening up, right? Um, and we get the, the joke, right? From Frodo uh, playing on Pippin's words that Frodo looks twice the hobbit that he was. And he's like, well, actually, there's, you know, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I, you know, I look twice the hobbit. I'm actually half the hobbit I used to be, right? Um, yeah, so, um, he, Frodo's talking about wraiths is kind of interesting, right? Um, I hope the thinning process will not go on indefinitely or I shall become a wraith. I don't know why, uh, um, Frodo is thinking about that, right? I don't know why Frodo is, is bringing up wraiths here. Exactly. Um, I mean, it is foreshadowing, right? You know, and Amethorn, you're right. It's, it's, it's an almost prescient statement by Frodo here. Uh, it's an ominous statement. Um, Tillian says it wasn't that long ago that they were on the downs. No, just a few days, right? Um, and yes, being made into a wraith was something that was kind of on the on the table there, right? Uh, think of the 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 Barrel White song, right? Was was going to make them into um, into wraiths as well. Um, Carita says he, he wonders if his joke is intentionally or accidentally dark. Carita, I can't think that Frodo's bringing this up accidentally, right? I just... Um, Zephan, exactly. That's exactly what I was thinking, uh, that Frodo was engaging in hobbitry to make light of the ringwraiths. Yes, yes. Um, that is... that. It, it's gotta be. I, it's, I, this, this can't be something that he tosses off. And by the way... I would here disagree with the way that Rob Inglis reads that line, right? Um, Rob Inglis reads that line as if Frodo is just, um, you know, looking for some kind of comparison, right? You know, or I shall become, I shall, you know, like, I need a metaphor, become a wraith, right? Um, but I, I don't think that that's it at all, right? Um Hobbits do have an irreverent sense of humor, humor in a sense, Lady Shmebulak, I agree. Um, I don't think that he's doing this by accident. I do think that he is... Um, um, I do think that he is deliberately making light of the situation, right? Um, or I shall become a wraith. Uh, now, Tony, I was for a long time confused about Strider's comment here. The surprising earnestness of Strider's comment, do not speak of such things, makes it sound like he is afraid that, like, this is not just like, that's a tasteless joke, Frodo, right? Don't go there. Um, it's not that, right? There's something more urgent here. Like, there is some danger that can come to them if Frodo talks this way. Um, it could be Lincoln. You could understand, you know, uh, thinking of Theoden's words, right? Speak not words of omen, right? You can imagine Aragorn thinking that, but I don't think so either. Um, the quickness of Strider speaking, I think, is not, um, this is not about words of 
words of omen, right? Um, it is, um, it's possible Mad Violinist is wondering if Strider is sort of being triggered here, thinking about the, the bad experiences he seems to have had with Wraiths. Is he just having a, a knee-jerk negative reaction here? Don't talk about Wraiths, right? Um, uh, possibly. But again, the earnestness, the... Uh, it seems to me more like don't name evil things or you might draw their attention is what it sounds like. Like you are creating a present danger by bringing this up. Um, remember uh, the thing that I'm reminded of because it's a Frodo thing again. Remember Frodo's song in the Old Forest? They're surrounded by the Old Forest. And um, uh, Frodo is feeling oppressed by the trees pressing on either side. So what does he do? He sings his song, right? He sings a, a taunting song uh, to the forest. And Mary has to tell him, I wouldn't sing if I were you. It does more harm than good. Um, and then he, but the buddy says, wait till we get to the other side and then we'll turn and give them a rousing chorus. Right. So in theory, I support the kind of spirited, you know, defiance that you're offering here. Um, but it's, it's probably not wise right here. If you sing this kind of thing, you're going to provoke them. And we see that he is provoking the trees, right. By the branch that's dropped right behind them. Um, uh, So the idea that Frodo has the impulse to, you know, defy dark powers, even to make light of them, um, even to make jokes about them, seems to me to be very appropriate, right? Um, uh, fitting with his character, right? That's This is, I think, indirectly... That's a statement of courage by Frodo. At least that's how I take it, or I shall become a wraith, right? Um, he knows. He's been told... Remember what? Remember the bomb that Gandalf dropped on him in Chapter 1, right? The first bomb that Gandalf dropped on him. He dropped a couple bombs on him in Chapter 2, right? The second bomb was, oh, by the way, Sauron the Dark Lord knows that you have his ring and he knows your address, right? That was the second bomb that he dropped on him. But remember, the first bomb was this ring that you have. It's like radioactive and is almost certainly going to kill you, right? Uh, it's extremely harmful and anyone who carries it for any significant length of time is going to be inevitably dragged down and made into a wraith, right? So, um, this is way too conspicuous a comment for Frodo to make incidentally. Uh, he knows that if he keeps the ring, becoming a wraith is in fact his destiny, right? Gandalf has told him that. Like, that this is, you can't stop it. It is part of the evil power of the ring itself that ultimately anyone, he says, anyone, right? Slower in the case of those who, who you know, keep it with good intent and stuff, but sooner or later, everyone is going to be wraithified by this. So here he is, with the ring still in his pocket, making a joke 
about becoming a wraith, right? Uh, when Pippin is pointing out that he's lost weight. Um, so, again, that strikes me as a very direct, uh, it's a very conspicuous thing for Frodo to joke about, and I don't think that's accidental at all. Um, Matt is wondering if Strider could be more concerned about attracting the attention of the ring, uh, as well as the ring wraiths. I'm not, I'm still not sure. It sounds, I, I don't think that this is just a, a Strider thing. I don't think this is just, I, I, I mean, I can see the appeal in the psychological trigger reading, right, of, uh, of Strider here in this moment that thinking of his own, uh, uh, previous trauma, any reference to becoming a wraith is a super sore subject with him that, you know, causes him to twitch. I, I, I can see, I definitely can see the appeal of that reading. But I'm not convinced, I'm certainly not convinced that that's the only way to read that or that that's really kind of the heart of what's going on there. Um, Brick tells exactly what Frodo is doing is a lot, I don't think it's more than a little, I think it's a lot like joking about cancer when you have cancer. Exactly. It is it's precisely that kind of, that kind of move um, by, uh, uh, by, by Frodo here. Um, so, yeah, yeah. Um, so why does Strider respond this way? That's why I think, um, uh, see, Brunier is asking, was this line in the early manuscripts when Strider was still Trotter the Hobbit? I don't remember off hand Brunier. Somebody can look that up who has Return of the Shadow near them, but I think so. I think that this I shall become a wraith don't speak of such things is an early line. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, Harnath says that uh, searching the e-text indicates that this is the first appearance of the word wraith in the Lord of the Rings. Yeah, shadows under his great shadow is the phrase that Gandalf uses back in chapter 2. Um uh, yeah, Gandalf is still conveying the idea, even if he doesn't actually use that term. Um, he does mention ring wraiths. Yes, yes, he does. Um, so I, I, I think that that concept is sufficiently there. Um, yeah, yeah. So wraith freestanding might not have been used yet. Uh, but, uh, but the concept of Wraith, and again, even, even without the Ring Wraith reference, it, even just Gandalf's description of what happens to people who hold the rings, that they become shadows under his great shadow, um, you know, that, uh, that Frodo would reach for the word Wraith to describe that doesn't seem, doesn't seem too odd. Um, anyway, so what then? And I, I mean, I, I, I linger on this because I think it's, it's kind of an interesting point, right? Because one of the things we are trying to do is to gather a little bit of data on the Black Riders. Who are they? What are their powers, right? How do they function? You know, we, I don't want to make too many assumptions with the ring itself, right? Same thing. Um, Strider is presumably, well... I was about to say better informed than Frodo, but that's hardly a compliment. Um, he uh, knows something 
right? He certainly has firsthand experience with the Wraiths and contrasts his firsthand experience with the Ring Wraiths to Frodo and company's firsthand experience with the Ring Wraiths, right? You've seen them and run from them from a distance, which, prudent as that is, you don't know what they're really like, right? You don't fear uh, these hunters enough, he says, right? You don't, you don't fear them enough. Um, so, uh, so what's if, again, assuming this is not a PTSD reaction, again, which I don't hate that reading, um, but assuming it's not for a second, um, what is he afraid of? Is he afraid that Frodo is going to doom himself to wraithdom by joking about becoming a wraith? I think that's maybe. Okay. Let me think of this in these terms. What are the options here? What are our interpretive options? What could, in theory, Aragorn be afraid of? One is the whole, you know, name the devil and he appears line of thinking, right? Um, we're trying to hide from the ring rates here. Don't name them because you could draw their attention to us, right? So don't blow our cover by just talking about them would be one option. Right. And yes, mad violinist, that we do see the people of Gondor thinking that way. Right. The, the, the people in Gondor won't name Sauron. Now, I don't think that's the only reason they won't name Sauron, but we do see this whole, uh, it would be a good idea for one reason or another not to name the Dark Lord. Right. Um, so, so yeah, I, I, I think that that we, we do have some evidence to, to, to believe that that's a, that that's a big deal. Um, what else, what would be the other option, right? How else could it be actually harmful? Um, now Gladys, I can get behind that, that, you know, he's, um, trying to get them to take it seriously, that this isn't a joking matter. I can get behind that in this, in one sense, Right. That is like, come on, people like this is, you know, yeah. Turning into a joke is not turning into a joke. Turning into a wraith is not a joke. Right. Yes. But at the same time, that would be kind of missing the point in a sense. Right. That is to say, if he's reacting that way to what Frodo said, come on, man, let's be serious about this. Um, he's being kind of, mm, I don't know what. Um, dense, I guess, in a sense. Um, that is, surely, like, does he not get Hobbit humor at all? Right? I, I think he does. We've seen him try to engage in it. We were just looking at that last week. Um, I would think that he would understand that Frodo is deliberately... It's not that Frodo doesn't understand that becoming a wraith is a serious risk and a serious concern for him personally, right? Um, I think that he would perceive that Frodo is deliberately trying to make a joke of... Like somebody who's been diagnosed with cancer making a joke about cancer, right? Um, Again, you don't... If somebody's been diagnosed with cancer and they're making a cancer joke, you don't go to them and say, you know, cancer's serious, right? They know. That's why they're joking about it, right? And so I, I think I, Aragorn would have to be kind of tone deaf, I think, uh, to be 
making that particular move to Frodo, and I doubt that he is. Um, but, uh, yeah, Matt, this is more along the lines of what I'm thinking, too. Matt was just saying, when Frodo is crossing Mordor, he has to turn his entire will to resisting the ring. If Aragorn knows this, he knows Frodo has to start learning to resist the thoughts now. Yes, that I think is, it's a joke. It's a brave joke, even, right? But at the end of the day, I think it's a foolish joke. I think I suspect that Strider thinks it's a foolish joke, right? Um, his own will is crucial, right? If he consents to the corruption of the ring, if he knows the ring could turn him to the wraith, and if even jokingly he's, like, reconciling himself uh, to becoming a wraith, um, uh, then that's not good, right? You don't want to go down that path, Frodo, right? You know, not to be intimidated, not to be terrified by the ring is probably good, but let's not, don't, don't, don't let this idea of you becoming a wraith dwell in your mind, right? Don't, don't go, that's, that's dangerous. Not that it's going to bring enemies uh, to us, right? That it's going to reveal our position or something, but psychologically it's dangerous for Frodo, right? Um, uh, yeah. And for Thoughtless, I think that you're right. Uh, let's return to this when we see his reaction to talking about Mordor. Uh, later. Now, I think that's not going to be quite the same thing, but I do think it's going to be similar. We're going to see Strider again shut off conversation, right? Uh, because he thinks it's a, it's dangerous to talk about something, right? So, um, yeah, yeah. Um, so I think that that's, um, uh, yeah. Um, I'm not sure. Um, now, Tillian, I totally agree. You make light of things in, in an effort to ward them off sometimes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, but uh, and again, I do think that that's what Frodo is doing. But, uh, yeah, I, 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 again, it's like Matt was saying, right? Um, although it, it is a kind of an act of defiance and he is trying to ward off just being overcome with terror at the prospect of perhaps being turned into a wraith, if he allows the con- if he reconciles himself to the concept, if he becomes comfortable with the idea of turning into a wraith, um, his own will will not be so set against it. I, 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 I think that it is, uh, dangerous in that sense. Um, uh, Maelstrom on the, uh, Twitch chat says, could thin as a wraith be a shire saying, um, I would be super surprised if that were true. It's conceivable. Goodness knows we see a lot of 
sort of traditional Shire sayings quoted in this way, um, often without drawing attention to the fact that they're quotations. And we've debated it before, whether this is a saying or whether this is like the apples for walking and a pipe for sitting thing we were talking about recently. Um, But I don't think so. And the main reason I think so is that this makes, that makes no sense, right? A wraith is not what you become uh, when you get skinnier, right? Um, Think about the phrase, and somebody brought this up before. Um, When, uh, remember when they set out and they're joking about how heavy Sam's pack is, right? And uh, Sam is saying, yeah, yeah, uh, Frodo's saying, oh, you gave me all the heaviest stuff. And Sam is saying, I could take a bit uh, more, sir, right? And and Pippin says, you know, no, no, uh, let him carry it. He'll feel the weight less when he's walked off some of his own. Um, and remember, at that point, Frodo says, I shall be as thin as a willow wand by the time we reach Buckland, right? That sounds like... Uh, if not a Shire saying, then a, a, a sort of a, a Shire simile, right? Um, when you talk about being really thin, you compare it to being as thin as a willow wand, which are, of course, you know, I mean, if you have any firsthand experience of willow trees, you know that the 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 long branches of, of willows are very, very thin switches, right? So um, that uh, that makes a lot of sense, right? Um, that he would use that. Thin as a wraith, it just doesn't make sense. Wraiths aren't thin, right? They're they're immaterial, right? And uh, no matter how good your diet plan is, you're not going to become immaterial at the end of it. Uh, Maybe you become as thin as a willow wand, but you're not going to become as thin as a wraith. Like That's just not happening. And of course, it is extremely conspicuous for Frodo um, under the circumstances, as again, Gandalf predicted that it was more or less his destiny. Um, uh, So... Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so... Don't speak of such... Don't even joke about... Like, again, fine idea, but don't even joke about becoming a wraith. Um, you don't want to be thinking that way. At the end of the day, that's that's how I'm inclined to read that. And I don't, I don't see any active reason to believe that either one of them is talking about the ring. Frodo's thinking about it, of course, in the sense that, again, it's having the ring that's going to make him into a wraith eventually. Um, does Aragorn think that he's going to give the ring power of him? I guess, in a sense, it's it's just another way of saying the same kind of thing, right? Um, you have to set your will against the ring and against becoming a wraith. Um, not accept it, even jokingly, right? Um but uh, but yeah, as far as seeing any kind of direct intervention or something on the part of the ring here, I don't necessarily, I don't, I don't really see it here. All right, I think we should stop there. Uh, it's getting late; it's field trip time. Uh, so let's uh, let's go to our field trip. We'll totally get to the Gilgalad poem next time. Absolutely, it's so gonna happen. Uh, not quite, not quite today, but that's fine. Um, uh, lots of great discussion today. Thanks very much for that. So I'm gonna I'm gonna sign off um, uh, on uh, Twitter. Thanks everybody who's been joining me there on Twitter. Uh, and I'm gonna shift to well, I'm gonna shift to the Twitch channel. I'm gonna shift over here to the game um, uh, so that we're ready to uh, go on our field trip. I'm gonna say bye to the Twitter folks. See you guys next week.
if I can hit the X here. What's going on here? There it is. Okay. All right. And there we go. So are you ready? Also, I am I am without accompaniment tonight. I have to. Uh, uh, I have to. We have to, have to do field trip solo. So let's head back to the marshes. And uh, if we had just gotten to the edge of the marshes, I want to get to where we were, and I want to explore. I want. I want to look at the approaches to Weathertop here today. So let's um, let's head out. We won't necessarily explore Weathertop itself. But I want to look at the area that they were passing through here today and look at how that gets treated in the game world. See what they did with this. So many areas, right, where we get um, uh, all of this rich description uh, from Tolkien. And I'm always fascinated by how they try to capture that. One of the things we've done a lot of um, in our field trips is looking at the... I think we can just ride. Let's uh, let's go I'll wait by the. Hey, we're going to the south gate. We should go totally go this way. Um, uh, I am lagging here. Excuse me. I always feel bad here going through people like people's laundry. Um, anyway, um, right. So I uh, I want to. Uh, uh, right. As I was saying, we've we've done a lot of um, looking at uh, the uh, sort of history and the way that the big picture um, world building that they've done here in Lotro uh, does some really interesting and cool adaptations of uh, of the the whole larger backstory and how we can kind of trace the way that they're integrating like the Appendix A material, right, about the history of Arnor and everything into uh, the whole world, both past and present, both in the in the construction of things like ruins as well as the, um, the, the active stories that are going on now in the game world. Um, all these things are, uh, are, are, are things that we've spent a lot of time with. Then we get these other uh, passages, Right, um, where we get a great deal of uh, a great deal of description, right, where we're really introduced to uh, this to the look and feel of this area, and you know they have this to work with as they're designing the game, and you and, you know we know I know for a fact, right, that they read these passages really, really carefully uh, and think a lot about um, what the text has to say about these places. There are obviously limitations, as we were discussing last time, to them representing those things, you know, exactly point by point. Um, it's kind of like how uh, how I used to think back, you know, when I was like in high school and middle school, thinking about uh, film adaptations of books, right? And thinking, well, like, why don't they just use the book? Like, they've got all this dialogue in the book, right? Why don't they just use the dialogue from the book uh, in the film? And of course the answer is because they didn't want a 25 hour film. Um, so, you know, you can't just do that. Right. And similarly, you can't just make middle earth look exactly like Tolkien describes it, or it's going to take a week uh, to get your character from Bree to Rivendell. Um, so, uh, you know, or obviously more than a week, two weeks. 
So anyway, um, I'm, uh, we we have those obvious limitations that they have to work within, and yet they still have those descriptions, and they know those descriptions and are thinking about them carefully, right? So how how do they adapt them? How do they make it work? That's what I want to look at. So let's go back to the marshes, um, and uh, let's see. Um, JJ asked, "Would that necessarily be a bad thing? What to take a week to ride from Bree to uh, to Rivendell?" Um, you know. It's funny because at this point, you know, people who are kind of committed to Lotro would always take more, right? You know, I mean, yeah, if you could have, you know, 10 times the amount of world, you know, to explore and do stuff in, uh, would you say no, right? I mean, you know, yeah, but it's, of course, a little, it's a fairly easy to understand uh, why they made the decision initially, right? Um, Belongsbond asks, uh, any chance I may talk about how Aragorn's heritage is connected to Weathertop? Yeah, I was saving that. We're going to get there. Um, In fact, uh, we're going to get there right before the Gilgalad uh, poem, indeed. So... um, I was planning to get to get to get get to that either at the end of class this week or the beginning of class next week. Turns out, beginning of class next week, right? Um, and I do think we may perhaps uncover another uh, motivation of Aragorn's to do what he did, right? Um, Karita, back to that thing Aragorn has for standing on high points and uh, and uh, looking down around him, right? Okay, I'm gonna... I kind of went around the Midgewater Marshes because I've heard it is horrible and that the biting insects are just awful there. Uh, and, of course, poor Narnian, who spends all of his time indoors lecturing, uh, is also uh, a terrible uh, wimp. So he's... Oops. Going to lose his horse here. And then remount himself on the far side. Yeah, okay. Sorry. Lost my horse. Um, we're heading out even now. I can, yes, just make out Weathertop from here. Um, off in the distance, it's still... little. The distance is still mist-shrouded here, right? Because uh, we're still in the marshes. Here's that goblin camp that we saw. Now I want to see... Can I get up over here? Yes, I can. Okay, here's the first thing I want to do. I want to look and see... Still marshes. I want to look for streams. I'm looking for streams. Poor, lonely, doomed streams losing their way down in the marshes. That's what I want to see. I want to see if there's any of those. So let's just do a little bit of looking here. The direct line, sorry, let's see. The direct line to Weathertop is still more or less this way. But remember, they're coming around and approaching it from the north. I don't think we're going to get a stream here. Okay. 
Okay, so notice what we get here for terrain on this slope. We're still in the, Mid the Midgewater Marshes zone, right? The, uh, the land is... <laughs> We've got a white hand guard. Interesting and important, right? Um, we've got a white hand guard who is uh, obnoxing people. Notice that we do have stands of... These isolated stands of trees on the slopes. We're just here crossing into the Lone Lands. Let me make sure... Nothing over here. Okay, we've got sort of cliffs. Oh, back over there is the Chetwood, right? Um, so we have these slopes mostly grassy, partly rocky. It doesn't look very desolate yet, right? But as soon as we cross the rise here from the marshes into the Lone Lands... Um, now we've got... Several of you are pointing out there was a word I didn't talk about, right? Which was shrunken as it relates to the alder trees, Right. Look at the trees here. Right. This it's not. This doesn't look like some of the trees that we've seen, such as the trees in the Fornost region. Right. Which are which are blasted trees or formerly blasted trees, blasted trees which seem to be um, sprouting again. Of course, in Fornost, uh, there's the Forsaken Inn down by the road over there. Right. But. Um, so notice how I, I think that we can see some clear evidence of them basing this uh, countryside on the uh, on the descriptions uh, from the uh, from the book. Um, bleak, treeless hills, right? Uh, the the bleak, treeless backs of the hills. Remember, up against the sky, uh, and. Strider is making his decision about how to approach Weathertop. I got, whoa, hmm, ruin. Arnorian by the vine structure. No other, yeah, we got a scepter of Anuminus up here on a half of a keystone. This has got to be Arthedanian, you've got to think, given the location. Uh, on the, you know, on this side, on the west side of Weathertop. Okay. Strider decides, so there's a line of hills. Weathertop stands out, but I think that we will see something that's like a line of hills, right? There's the weather hills coming down. Um, looking at the map here. Uh, weather top kind of blown up here on the map. Because um, it's a very large hill, not only high, but broad. Um, so he's going to approach it from the north. So he decides to go around... You know, was he down here when he decided to go around? Was it off... Yeah, I'm not sure which from which vantage point he decided to approach the line of hills from to approach Weathertop from the north. But let's do that. Let's go around in the way that Strider describes it and see if we can find our line of hills. Ah, see look, there's another hill with stuff on top of it. We didn't quite get to that passage. That was I think our next passage that we didn't get to, which is about the ruins. Right, they can see ruins, and uh, 
they're seeing the same ruins, presumably, that Bilbo saw and described in The Hobbit. Um, but, uh, yeah, okay. So again, one of the things that I really love about how they've succeeded in doing Weathertop in the game, um, you can see what Aragorn meant, right? About how people on top of Weathertop could see you anywhere. I mean, everywhere we go, you look back and there's going to be Weathertop right right there. Um, you're going to be in full view of anybody from on top of it. There really is not much escaping. Um, but there are these other hills, so presumably we're going right across the tops of them. Oh, and of course, uh, what what are the the uh, you know the 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 mobs the 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 enemies that they have placed in the game around here that attack you, Krabine, right? Spy birds, uh, because of course that's what that's what Aragorn said you would meet. Okay, so there's the line of hills. Uh, so there's Weathertop, and then stretching out to the north with those ruins on top. The line of hills that goes along. So. The path that Strider is wanting to take is... Whoa, can't get there from here. Whoa, there's a river in between. That's not a little lonely stream losing its way in the marshes. Hmm. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. We can't get there. You can get there. Um... You, that's where you get if you come around from the from the northern breeze side, right? Yeah, that's interesting. They won't let us sweep around. Hmm. Hmm, let's go down and explore. How far around would we have to go in order to be able to cross that river and come down at Weathertop from the north? Is this a fort here? Can we cross? Can we get up the other side? Doesn't look like we can get up the other side. Hmm. Yeah, that doesn't look hospitable. Would we have to go all the way down? No. Notice one of the, um, yeah, you have to start from the marshes and follow the other bank. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was kind of thinking. And there's the marshes. Is this the stream? Have they expanded the stream into this big old river? 
That's interesting because this is a significant. This is bigger, for instance, than uh, the the water, right? In Bywater. Yeah. We have to go all the way down to the marshes. Fascinating. What happens if we? Uh, what happens if we jump in? Can we swim up? Very bad things. Very bad things? Good evening. It's Druid's Fire. Hey, Druid's Fire. Um, okay, can we cross it up to the north? You know what I really like about this, by the way? They have made this... Ter it's... I mean, I've spent a fair bit of time around up here. I've I, I, I've been here a bunch of times. Uh, you know, I'm... Uh, but I'm definitely no match for Aragorn in a wood, right? Um, I do kind of like the way that they introduce obstacles to make this... Uh-oh. Uh -oh, I'm in trouble. I'm going to slide down the hill. I'm not careful. Got to go up here. You okay. can... Uh you can climb up on the northern bank from where I jumped down. I'm Bluebell the Hobbit. Okay, wait, where did you jump down? Uh, the second stretch before the, between the two falls. Between the two falls? Down where we just were? Yep. Really? Huh made a little landing so you didn't have to swim all the way down to the marshes. Very nice and fun. Really? Yeah. Yes, Katrana, I do think that Kandyth's camp is essentially right around, like that road is the path that they took. Um, all right. From the far bank, I could not tell that I could climb up on the other side. I'll go back. I'll go back. Okay. But again, see, notice, like, I need an expert guide to find this path here. Okay, so you're telling me if I jump down between these two waterfalls. Yes, I'm currently on the bank uh, with my skeleton pony. Where are you? Amethorns found us. Yeah, Amethorns found me. Where are you? This can't be the two falls I'm looking no, at. No, they're the to the north of you. Okay. The other direction. To the north. Yeah, the longer stretch between the two falls, not the short stretch. Okay. So north of those of the topmost falls there. These are. Okay. So I can jump in anywhere along here and I'll be able to get out? Yes, you can. Um go further north because that's where we are. Go further north to jump in. Where it's yes, steeper. Please. Yes. 
where you have to jump down further. And it looks yes. like you'll probably die. No. It does look that way. I only lead Cordovan in the wrong direction deliberately. I would not do that to you, Corey. <laughs> okay. I appreciate that. All right. Okay. I see you now on the far bank. Okay. All I right. see you. So I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, Run and jump. with faith, just take a leap of faith off the cliff here. There we go. I the love German judge gives you five of ten on that dive. I love how you break your ankle on the water. Okay. Well, you're not playing a hobbit. I didn't. There we are. And I limp my way up onto the onto the beach here. Okay. See, I wouldn't have anticipated that. That's presumably not the actual route that Aragorn and the hobbits took. As well, cliff diving makes uh, makes no appearance in the story. <laughs> Tony says only the penitent man shall pass. Yeah, exactly. That's really interesting. I wonder why they put that river in. Here's the road over here. Okay. Right, there's that bridge. We saw that bridge from a distance. I'm going to look at the bridge for a second. Okay, circle of seven stars, seven pointed stars, floral pattern, floral and grain pattern. That's interesting. Around the pediments, what's... Can I see what that is up at the top? Uh, okay. Just a design. We've got the... Oops. There it is. We've got the stars underneath. Again, looks like Arthodyne stuff here. That's not a statue, but a column under. Okay. All right. Excellent. So this was the old road. So here's the old road that we're following down an old archway over the old road. A wolf standing on an obviously Arnorian arch capital there. going other than the wrong direction now. There's Weathertop. Dead in the opposite direction of where this path seems to be taking us. But we have to go there to go around. No, can we go down here? Oh yeah, we can go down here. Okay. Wow. Pack of wolves. Okay, here we are. All right, ruins, more Arnorian ruins. So it's interesting. Th this is now, and, and now notice where we are right here, right? Notice where we are. 
where we are is out of sight of Weathertop, right? One of the only places around here you can stand where you are not in view of Weathertop. So that's clearly, let's see, when does it come into sight? Big old bear. There it is. There it is. Right? Just peeking through, but you can, you know, keep a low profile over here and they're not going to see you. Right? If you go out of your way, you can find it up here, but obviously if you're Strider, you're going to keep down to the lower ground so that nobody sees you. Then now you're down in these clefts, right? As you're going to turn around and Approach. Well, this is where the orcs live, so we don't want to go down into this particular cleft. So we're going to turn around over here on this cleft instead. And oh, go, do wrong. go down and across this ford. And there, yeah, you can see, see weather top here, but now we're definitely approaching from the north. But here it is. See? Immediately obscured. As now we begin to approach those ruins that we were able to see from a distance... Ah, an old road leading under the old wall. As we get closer and closer to the foot of Orth to the feet of Orthanc and we we or Orthanc of Weathertop, and we see uh, it beginning to come in more clearly. Of course, now there's no hiding from it, but that's because we're there at the feet of Weathertop. Hooray! And here in this dell at the feet of Weathertop is our good friend Kendyth. We should name a we should name like a scholarship program after Kendyth at Signum. <laughs> yeah. You know, for those working professionals who who you know want to better themselves. Do you need yeah. help reading orc dispatches? No, I, I learned them from uh, Straczynski. Yeah, yeah. Fair enough. There he is. Yeah. Recharging his laptop for his next Black Speech preceptor session. Okay, here we go. Um, so again things that we learn right again you can see how they're emulating the the description of the of the hillside bleak right one of our big adjectives in that passage uh the 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 clusters of stunted trees uh the stone paths which appear out of nowhere right the 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 remnants of old roads uh the ruins on the hilltops right we can see them representing all of those things i think they do a great job with the feel of the lone lands i've always really liked the lone lands uh not because it's my favorite place in terms of you know just beautiful countryside or anything like that um but because it's, uh, I, I think it captures really well the description in the books. Um, and there we found the route. And of course, you'll notice we needed an expert guide in order to be able to find the route. Um, that river strikes me as, a, as an addition and an interesting addition. Um, it makes it hard to follow in the exact footsteps of Aragorn and the Hobbits. But then again, um, that is not shocking, right? Because... Uh, uh, 
you know, again, this is an adaptation. So by adding that gorge, what they have done is made that area really hard to navigate, as we saw. Um, yeah, exactly. Belongspawn, there's nothing like the massive waterfalls that are described there. But again, it does have the... It's striking and kind of lovely. Uh, but it does have the effect of, you know... Helping you to imagine that if you, that you are a helpless hobbit who needs an expert guide uh, through this area, right? If you're going to get to your destination and survive, and we can see how this path uh, that Strider found and was following down to to uh, Weathertop, in fact, does a great job of screening you from uh, being seen from the heights. So, okay, next week. Uh, we'll be here next week, and we'll have another class. And then for field trip next week, we will explore Weathertop proper. Uh, we'll look at the dell under Weathertop, and we will look at the hill itself. Um, and Amethorn, yeah, we'll probably just take the road uh, <laughs> next time. I think we'll do that. Um, but uh, anyhow, yeah, we'll, so we'll come back to Candace, Candite's camp, and we'll start from here. Thanks, everybody, for joining me tonight, uh, and I look forward to class next week and seeing you next time. Bye now. Thanks for joining me on this epic exploration of The Lord of the Rings and of Standing Stone's video adaptation of Tolkien's story. If you are having even half the fun I'm having on this journey, I hope you will consider supporting the project by donating at signumuniversity.org fund.